Please turn to the back of your hymn book, page 874. By the way, as you were singing that psalm, who is speaking in that psalm? Who is speaking in that psalm? We'll come to it in a moment. I'm going to read Lord's Day 5, and then we'll turn to Hebrews 10. Lord's Day 5 asks the question, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both now and in eternity. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? God requires that His justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of this justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. Can we make this payment ourselves? Certainly not. Actually, we increase our debt every day. <clears throat> Can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? No. To begin with, God will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of. Furthermore, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. What kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then? One who is a true and righteous man, yet more powerful than all creatures. That is, one who is also true God. Now please open your Bibles to Hebrews 10. We're going to read the one, verses 1 to 18, and we're focusing on 1 through 10. And you will notice Psalm 40 coming up here in our Scripture reading. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then, would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, who was speaking in Psalm 40 as we sang it earlier, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, 
after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I'll put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. <clears throat> now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. So far the reading of God's holy word. Be honest. Have you ever become weary reading the repetitious descriptions of animal sacrifices in the Old Testament? Do you ever become tired of reading portions of Leviticus and Numbers as they describe how animals were sacrificed and the number of sacrifices that were required? If you just read to the regulations of Numbers 28 and 29, it's already rather tedious. First, there was a daily sacrifice of two lambs morning and evening. On the Sabbath, that number doubled. Then, on the beginning of every month, they had to offer two bullocks, one ram, seven ram, lambs, and a goat. During the seven-day Feast of Unleavened Bread, they would offer full 14 bullocks, seven rams, 49 lambs, and seven goats. During the Feast of Weeks, two bullocks were offered, one ram, seven lambs, and a goat. They would do the same thing again on the Feast of Trumpets on the first day of the seventh month. Again, on the tenth day of the month, the Day of Atonement, they would offer a bullock, a ram, seven lambs, and a goat. During the eight-day Feast of Tabernacles, they would sacrifice a total of 71 bullocks, 15 rams, 105 lambs, and eight goats. Just imagine, children, can you picture it? Just imagine the continual flowing of blood. The priests never had an opportunity to rest. They were constantly busy slaughtering and sacrificing. After the temple was built, there were times when the brook Kidron was red with blood. The blood from the slaughtered animals would run out from the temple through specially built channels into the Kidron. Some have estimated that at the time of the Passover, as many as 300,000 lambs would be slaughtered within a week. Now for us today, that's hard to even consider. Sacrifice upon sacrifice upon sacrifice upon sacrifice, one after another after another after another, never ending. But have you ever thought, congregation, that perhaps the weariness that you feel while reading the first nine chapters of Leviticus is exactly what those chapters were intended to produce. Have you ever thought of that? When you begin to groan inwardly, have you ever stopped to think that, that, that perhaps that is precisely the response that God intended to generate through those chapters? It seems to me that they may have been designed to make us weary. 
They go on and on and on describing repetitious rituals. The monotony that those chapters create in us is a reminder that something better and greater is required to cleanse sinners from their iniquity. Brothers and sisters, the Old Testament system teaches us that God must provide the ultimate sacrifice. The Old Testament reaches out in longing for Christ who brings an end to the weariness. This morning, we want to focus our thoughts on the first 10 verses of Hebrews 10. We notice, first of all, how the author unfolds the insufficiency of the Old Testament Levitical order, the inadequacy. Go with me, please, in your Bibles to verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. The writer of Hebrews speaks of the law as what? A shadow. The law of verse 1 refers specifically to the law prescribing matters relating to the sacrifice of the priesthood. The law is a shadow. All the old ceremonies and sacrifices of the law were only a sketchy outline of the good things to come. A shadow is itself without substance, right? If you walk around at night, you cast a shadow. Your shadow cannot exist without you. Your shadow is not that significant. The substance casting the shadow is the important thing. When one of your children returns home after having been away for some time and you go to meet him at the airport, you do not fall down to the ground and embrace his shadow. You embrace the reality, not the shadow. The law of the priesthood and sacrifice was a shadow of the good things to come. They pointed forward to something better. Verse 1 says that the law is not the very image of the things to come. The English Standard Version, the ESV, says the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. The old Levitical system was not the actual substance. What then is the substance? The good things to come. What's the cause of the shadow? Of course, it is, children, Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for sin, as well as his ongoing work as the great high priest who intercedes on behalf of his people. The good things to come, the good things that are coming, are the privileges and blessings of salvation in Jesus' priestly work. Christ himself is the substance behind the shadow. He brings forgiveness of sins, true peace, complete cleansing, and access to God. Access to God is a blessed privilege. We read in verse 1 that the law could never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year after year, make those who approach perfect. The sacrifices were made year after year after year. 
And yet they could never make the worshiper perfect. The fact that the sacrifices had to be repeated showed that they were imperfect. They did not secure access to God. If the sacrifices actually produced the desired effect, it would not have to be repeated. Repetition is a sign of what? Incompleteness. The author of Hebrews makes this point in the second verse. Have a look. Verse 2. He asks, verse 2, for then... That is, if the sacrificial sacrificial system could make sinners perfect, would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. They would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. The old Levitical system could not remove sin and the guilt of sin. If it did, then the sacrifices would no longer have been necessary. And not only were the sacrifices unable to remove sin, by the repeated action, they constantly brought to mind the reality of sin. The sacrifices, the sacrifices did not so much soothe the conscience as prick the conscience. Look at verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, an annual reminder. Every year, particularly on the Day of Atonement, the people again be reminded of their sin. On that most holy day, the people would be convicted in a special way that all the daily, weekly, and monthly sacrifices were not sufficient to atone for the sins of the assembly. When the worshiper came continually to that eight-foot-by-eight-foot brazen altar of burnt offering, he always had to stand afar, afar off. He could not go beyond that brazen altar. He could not enter the sanctuary in worship or approach the presence of God who dwelt between the cherubim and the holy of holies. It was on that one day of the year with the atoning blood It was brought by the high priest, the representative of the people, the mediator, into the divine throne room of Yahweh, into the Holy of Holies. All those ceremonies were very significant for the old covenant worshiper, for they demonstrated spiritual truths in a very visible and tangible manner. Both the veil separating the holy place from the holy of holies, and the mediation of the priests served as a protection from the wrath of God. They were constant reminders to the worshiper that he was a sinner in a sinful world and could not enter the presence of God on his own. Because of their sin, the people forfeited their life and deserved to die. But in their place, a goat was killed and burned on the brazen altar before the Lord. Congregation, think about it. What a graphic picture of the wrath of God against sin. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. The goat was consumed in the flames in the place of the stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. The goat's blood was shed in place of their blood. And yet, as the worshiper departed from the tabernacle and temple, he knew that he would sin again. 
And therefore, the same process would have to be repeated again and again and again and again. Each time a sacrifice was made, the people would be reminded of their sin, which separated them from the presence of God. It kept them afar off and hindered them from entering the Holy of Holies. So every time a sacrifice was made, it reminded them of their alienation from God. Every year, the Day of Atonement pointed to the need for a sacrifice that would be perfect and sufficient, a once-for-all sacrifice that would need no repetition. The repeated sacrifice indicated that God still remembered their sins. He remembered them because propitiation had not been truly made. Verse 4 says very plainly, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. A beast is simply not qualified to serve as an adequate substitute for human beings. Lord's Day 5 of the Catechism accurately says that there is no creature that is able to satisfy for the sin of man. No other creature can pay our debt for us. Man is the crown of God's creation. Animals are not equal to man in nature and value. Animals were not made in the image of God and do not have a moral nature. Furthermore, it was man who sinned. It was man who rebelled against God. And therefore, it is man who must suffer the consequences. The prophet Ezekiel said, the soul who sins shall die. Man himself must take full responsibility for his debt. God will not pardon him through the slaughter of bulls and goats. And neither can he pardon them through the slaughter of bulls and goats. For in the words of our catechism, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. The prophet Nahum said, who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. A brute beast cannot stand before the indignation of God and endure the fierceness of his anger. A dumb and unwilling beast cannot bear his fury poured out like water and deliver others from it. Well, then, perhaps you're wondering, well, what's the point of the Old Covenant Levitical regulations? What's the point? If the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sins, what's the point of it all? Well, first of all, we've already seen in verse 1 that it was a shadow of the good things to come. Although it was a shadow, it still served a purpose. It caused people to look towards the reality of which it was a shadow. The sacrificial system pointed to good things. It pointed to the coming salvation and made God's people look forward with longing anticipation. The sacrifices and ceremonies of the law shouted a message of good news. 
The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins, but there will come one whose shed blood will be able to take away sins. Yes, the sacrifices and ceremonies of the law were shadows, but shadows are certainly better than nothing at all. We all know that when we see a shadow, there is something creating the shadow. Israel could know by the shadow that the reality which cast the shadow would someday be revealed. Jesus, the substance behind the shadow, would be disclosed. Secondly, what's the point of the Old Covenant Levitical regulations? The sacrifices and ceremonies of the law were a constant reminder that the wages of sin is what? Death. Every day of their life, they were reminded of death as the animals were being slaughtered. The daily sacrifices loudly and persistently proclaimed, this is what will happen to you unless a greater atonement is provided. And third, what's the point of the Old Covenant Levitical regulations? God was pleased with those who offered sacrifices in true faith and repentance, believing God's promise of salvation. When they brought their sacrifices, with their attention fixed on Christ, the promised Redeemer, those sacrifices were a sweet-smelling aroma in the nostrils of God. It was a sweet-smelling aroma only insofar as it was offered by faith in the promised Messiah. The Old Testament system can be understood only as it foreshadowed the supreme and final sacrifice of Jesus. Which brings us to point number two. We move from an insufficient system to an all-sufficient Savior. An all-sufficient Savior. In verses 5 through 7, the writer of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. He applies the words of the psalmist to Christ, as though Christ himself was speaking. The words of the psalmist are the words of Christ at his coming into the world. The author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, recognized Psalm 40 as a messianic psalm. Look with me to verse 5. Verse 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, here's Psalm 40, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. When Christ came in a human form, he knew that his father desired something more than the blood of bulls and goats. If salvation was going to be secured for his people, something greater was required. Let's keep reading. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, verse 6, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Now, brothers and sisters, how can it be said that God did not desire sacrifices and offerings when he was the one who established them? I believe the question can be answered in this way. The sacrifices of the Levitical system 
were unacceptable apart from a life of consecrated obedience to the will of God. Do you recall the words of Samuel to Saul after Saul had disobeyed the word of the Lord? Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. In the Old Testament, God wanted more than just sacrifices. Even though he instituted the sacrifice of animals, what he really desired was loving obedience. In itself, blood gushing from an animal did not gladden the heart of God. That is also brought out in the prophecy of Micah. Micah asked, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? And then he went on to answer the question. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. What did God want? He wanted not merely sacrifices, but genuine, devoted service, a heart eager to do His will. Congregation. In verse 5, our Lord Jesus spoke of the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Jesus recognized from the outset that his own body would be the sacrifice pleasing in the sight of God. A body you have prepared for me. A congregation, we become so accustomed to these truths, but when we really consider it, verse 5 should overwhelm us and humble us. The second person of the Trinity, who enjoyed fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit from all eternity, the one by whom all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, the one who is over all the eternally blessed God, this gloriously exalted one humbled himself, not sending an ambassador, but personally coming into this world. He came here not in a radiant form reflecting the glory of his deity, neither did he come with the brightness of an angel, No, he came in the form of a servant, a body you have prepared for me. The creator of the universe, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of man. A body you have prepared for me. In contrast to the sacrifices and offerings of the Levitical order, there is a body that the Father prepared for Christ. The Levitical sacrifices were never designed as anything more than Christ casting his shadow backward in time into the Old Testament period, a temporary means to anticipate this great sacrifice. 
The humanity of Christ was both foreordained and prepared by the Father. In His eternal counsel, God determined that His Son would become flesh. Already in eternity, God planned how He would deal with the sin of His children. It would not be through the punishment of any other creature. Using the language of our catechism, it would be through that mediator and deliverer who is truly human and truly righteous, yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also true God. The Lord took pleasure in that perfect sacrifice. Why? Because Christ came to offer complete submission to the Father's will. God was far more pleased with this than the slaughter of millions of sheep or goats. Go to verse 7. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, the scroll, it is written of me to do your will, O God. The Lord took pleasure in Christ, for only Christ showed that willing, loving, unwavering submission to His Father. Incidentally, it's interesting that the text of Psalm 40, verse 6, is slightly different than the quote found here in Hebrews 10. Did you notice that? Psalm 40, verse 6 says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, my ears you have opened. That's what you're saying, right? My ears you have opened. In quoting this psalm, Hebrews 10 verse 5 says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. Although these differences are somewhat puzzling at first, both readings amount to the same thing. The opening of the ear in Psalm 40 is explained in Isaiah 50, verse 5. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. The opening of the ear is for the purpose of hearing and obeying God's will. A body you have prepared for me is thus an obedient body. An obedient body, the body that was prepared for Christ by God, was active in obedient service to fulfill the requirements of the law. The first Adam was disobedient, but the last Adam was not. His supreme desire was to do the will of his Father. Many times in the Gospels, Jesus spoke of doing the Father's will. Because it was His supreme desire to do the Father's will, because He glorified God in His body as no one else, He became the perfect, unblemished sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, brute beasts could not strive to obey the will of God. Therefore, they were insufficient. Animals were, were forcibly sacrificed against their will and without their knowledge. Christ, on the other hand, willingly offered his own obedient body as a sacrifice, 
We said that the Levitical sacrifices could never make those who approach in worship perfect, but this sacrifice was the supreme sacrifice. Through it, the veil was torn, access secured into the Holy of Holies. No longer must the worshiper stand afar off. The suffering servant in fulfillment to that which was written in the book, the scroll concerning him, answered to the will of God as no animal sacrifice ever could. The book, or the scroll of the book, the Old Testament Scripture, spoke of Christ, His suffering and His obedience, His perfect life, His perfect submission to the Father, His suffering and death had all been written in the scroll of the book. The Scriptures had always predicted that the Levitical order would become obsolete. Verse 9 offers a commentary on Psalm 40. Have a look, verse 9. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away or does away with the first that he may establish the second. You see, Christ, in his obedience, took away and abolished the sacrifices associated with the Levitical laws. He did away with the first, the old sacrifices, that he may establish the second, the new sacrifice. The old, the first, was symbolic and temporary. The second is superior, permanent, effectual, and real. By Christ's obedience to the Father, the second is established. Congregation, I have come to do your will, O God. Wasn't that the motto of Jesus' life? Already as a boy, when his parents took him to Jerusalem at the feast of of Passover, his desire was to do the will of God. As they began their journey home, Mary and Joseph became alarmed that Jesus was not traveling in the crowds with them. When they returned to Jerusalem to look for him, they found him in the temple, and they said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. What did Jesus say to them? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Already as a boy, his motto was, I have come to do your will, O God. His whole life, from start to finish, was characterized by those words. In his final days, he came to that greatest test of obedience. As he was in the garden, he prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Dying was itself not the ultimate act of obedience. Dying as an accursed sinner, banished from the loving face of God, was the ultimate act of obedience. Taking upon himself the sins of his people, taking our debt was the ultimate act of obedience. In giving himself to be crucified, Jesus was, in effect, saying, Father, 
I know that you are not satisfied with the blood of bulls and goats, the sacrifice of brute beasts. But Father, I know that you will be satisfied with the sacrifice that I offer to you. Here is the body that you have prepared for me. I willingly take upon myself the sins of your people, and I offer my body in their place to bear the eternal punishment which they deserve. Father, I willingly pay the price of obedience. Brothers and sisters, verse 10 of our text says, by that will, We have been sanctified through the offering, the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. By fulfilling the will of God, His people are sanctified and provided the perfection which could not be provided on the basis of the Levitical sacrifices. His body offered once for all. All, there you have it again, is set in contrast to the repeated offerings of the Old Covenant. His offering was so perfect that a repetition of it is unthinkable. By it, His children have been sanctified. To be sanctified is to be cleansed from sin, to be set apart for God. When we think of the word sanctification, we usually think of the ongoing process of growth in holiness. And yes, Scripture does teach such a view of sanctification. Verse 14 speaks of that, those who are being sanctified. But here in verse 10, the meaning is, you have been permanently made holy. Our standing before God is that we are holy. The desire of the Lord is that we must be holy even as He is holy. Jesus, by obeying the will of the Father and offering Himself in our place, fulfilled this desire of the Father for us. Through the cross, He sanctified us, set us apart, and we are holy in His sight. Our practical standing is surely not always what it ought to be, But our positional standing is that we are holy. Our positional standing cannot be changed. And so we must strive to become in practice what we already are in position. Through the completed sacrifice, believers are sanctified. That's the glory of the gospel. Lord's Day 5 reminds us that we who according to God's righteous judgment deserve punishment both now and in eternity, temporal and eternal punishment, have been given a way of escape whereby we might again return to God's favor. God's justice is satisfied not by ourselves, for by ourselves we only increase our debt every day. Neither is His justice satisfied through a mere creature. His justice is satisfied through that mediator and deliverer who is truly human and truly righteous and at the same time, true God. Dear friends, it is this mediator and deliverer that you must fully embrace.
It is this mediator and deliverer who can rescue Georgia, who was also conceived and born in sin. Richard and Mary Beth can say to her, there is a way to escape the punishment of hell and God's eternal wrath against sin by believing on Jesus Christ, by trusting Him. Your debt, which would condemn you, is paid in full. Paid! Yes, paid! To return to God's favor, our covenant children and young people must receive that message by faith. Sacrifice and offering God did not desire. A body he has prepared for Christ. As we, by faith, turn to that sacrifice, we are made holy, permanent sanctification. Then, brothers and sisters, as we read the Old Testament Scriptures, let us remember, in the scroll of the book it is written of me. We are to see Christ in all the Scriptures. As we read of the Old Testament shadows, we may rejoice in the good things that have come. The entire Old Testament pointed to them. You today may know and experience those good things, the immense blessings of full, complete salvation, sufficient salvation in Jesus Christ. Then in closing, I ask you to consider, do you know those good things that were foreshadowed in the law? Have you unreservedly embraced those good things? Do you understand what the blood of bulls and goats should direct your thoughts to? Have you trusted in the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all? There's no other way to escape punishment and return to God's favor but through the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And therefore, if you've not already done so, I urge you to flee to Him who by his obedient life and death satisfied the justice of God. Flee to the one who can pay your debt in full. Run to Jesus. By trusting him, your sins and lawless deeds will be remembered no more. Children, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Do you believe that? Let us pray. Lord our God, we thank you for the privilege of living on this side of the cross. Your promises are fulfilled. That all the Old Testament shadows 
come to completion in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord our God, that we have a sacrifice that is all-sufficient because our Lord Jesus not only was offered as the Lamb of God, but He came also to do Your will, living that perfectly righteous life. That He is the Lamb without blemish and without spot. May each one of us here know that apart from Him, there is no hope. There is no forgiveness. Propitiation cannot be made in any other way but through the blood of the obedient Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he became like one of us and lived the life that we should have lived. It came to take our place, bearing your fiery indignation that we may enter through faith in him into your holy presence. Thank you that the veil has been torn and access has been provided for us into the most holy place. Lord, may, may our praises rise up to you, hearts full of gratitude. Work in each one here, Lord, that we would not simply uh, slough off these things and just move on, but that we would reflect upon all that you have accomplished and all that is ours through the obedient servant, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.